You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church, and to those who are watching online as well, thank you for joining us. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, make sure you leave a comment. Let us know that you're here with us. If you're new, welcome. My name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Hey, we've been talking about VBS and all the amazing things that God did, and he did do some amazing things. I just want to take a moment. I want to give a quick shout out to Sarah Schaefer, our fearless VBS leader. Um, she's been planning with some of the help of the volunteers for months. It's her vision. It's her hard work behind all of this. And when you have a team of 70 people, uh, that takes a high-capacity leader. Just, just FYI. That's, you can't just put anybody in that position. That is a high-capacity leader. And we're so proud of her for taking that courageous step uh, in introducing our church to VBS and really just welcoming kids from our community it has been amazing, and I am so excited to, to tell you, and some of you already know this, but if you don't, this fall, we're bringing Sarah in on our staff full-time, and so, yeah, it's awesome, and so we're super excited. She's going to devote her, her, her life to the work of the ministry here at Radiant Church. There is a lot of work to be done, and she's already making a difference, so I am so pumped because I know that we're going to reach more and more families and more and more kids with her being with us full time. So we cannot wait for what the Lord is gonna do. And so next month, we're gonna bring her on staff full time. So excited to see how God is moving here at Radiant Church. Well, today we are in the book of Acts once again, and this is part number 21. We've been in this book for 21 weeks, and we still got a ways to go. But today we're looking at the chapter of Acts 18, and we've entitled this this series, The Spirit-Empowered Church. And next week when you're here, Pastor Edgar Gomez will be with us, but he'll also be in the book of Acts. He's going to tackle Acts chapter 19, so I'm excited to hear his take on that. If you're new with us, though, or if you're just visiting, and maybe you're just not familiar with the Bible, I don't take that for granted anymore. A lot of people don't really know anything about the Bible, even a lot of Christians don't really know much about the Bible. It's sad, but that's just the case that we live in, the world that we live in. But the book of Acts, listen, is found in your New Testament of your Bible. Now, the book of Acts, listen, is the story of the early church, okay? Now, let me just paint a picture for you to kind of bring you up to speed. Here's the amazing thing of what we see in the book of Acts. What started off as this little ragtag movement has spread or spreads eventually all over the world. This is incredible. And so Jesus and his 12 disciples, they start in this little sliver, a piece of land in the Middle East that we now know as the country, the nation of Israel. And they start there and in a city named Jerusalem that was at one point the hub of Christianity. And they travel north to Syria in a city called Antioch. And then they travel west and they hit like the nation, uh, the region of Turkey, several cities there. They keep going west, and now they're in Greece, Paul now. It's Paul, and he's got some companions with him. He travels with a team, 
Silas and Timothy, they're both younger, younger men, and they look to, to, to Paul as kind of this father figure. But anyways, they're spreading the good news, the good news that Jesus has raised from the dead, that Jesus is the son of God. And as they spread this news, what they do is they start churches, okay? Small pockets of people who gather together, worship together, hear the scriptures read, the name of Jesus proclaimed, and he starts these churches all throughout the Mediterranean, of course, and into Europe. And what began with just Jesus and 12 disciples, listen, has now, today, listen, become a movement of, I think it's, what are the numbers here? Let me check. 2.3 billion people on our planet, listen, practice some form of Christianity. Isn't that amazing, right? Just like 12 people, 13 people, right? Radically transformed the world. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. And last that we read, Paul was in, uh, in Greece, and he had visited three different cities, if you remember from last week, in Acts chapter 17. Paul was in Thessalonica, and he went down to Berea and then down to Athens. But today we're going to see Paul travel. He's going to leave Athens. He's going to travel to Corinth now, a very different city from the city of Athens. Let me show you a quick map if you'll throw that up on the screen for me. You'll see Corinth and look at Athens. So Athens, or I'm sorry, Corinth is about 48 miles west of Athens. One of the cool things about the Bible is this. Leave that up there for a moment. One of the cool things about the Bible is this, is that the Bible is, is rooted in real people in real geographical locations, okay? Some people say, well, the Bible's made up. It's like a fairy tale. No, it's not, not at all. It's rooted in real places with real people that history tells us about, right? So I love this, and we can look at a map, and we can see uh, modern-day Greece. Corinth is about 48 miles west of Athens, and in the city of Corinth, there's approximately about 200,000 people. Now, I was reading about this this week. Scholars actually say that more appropriately, there were probably 700,000 people in the city. Why 700,000? Well, scholars say that they did not count the 500,000 slaves that they had in the city. They only counted the free people there. And so uh, there's about truly 700,000 people in the city of Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth was the most influential city in the region of Achaia, right, both economically and both and, and politically, okay? And here's the thing about the city of Corinth. It was very much so this cosmopolitan city, and within the city there was a variety of cultural backgrounds. People from many different parts of the world found their home in Corinth. Now, the people of Corinth, they worshiped a plethora of gods, a pantheon of gods, okay? But here's what you should know. that the people in Corinth gave especially or emphasized the worship to the goddess of Aphrodite, okay? Now, if you don't know who Aphrodite is, I'll tell you. Uh, the goddess of Aphrodite is the goddess of sexual love and sensuality and beauty, okay? The goddess of sexual love and beauty. In other words, the people worshipped sex, and they worshipped the exterior appearance. It sounds a bit like our world today, right? 
That is the place, that is the people of Corinth. Now, let's think about Athens for a few moments because Paul travels from Athens to Corinth, and if the city of Athens is a place of intellectual idolatry, well, Corinth is a place of immoral idolatry, okay? If Athens is kind of like um, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, home of Harvard University, right? Well, Corinth is more like Las Vegas, okay? Now, have you ever heard the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Anyone ever heard that saying before? Raise your hand, right? Now, I've been to Vegas a few times, and um, three times, actually, and I was not a Christian when I was in Vegas, so I won't tell you what I did in Vegas, okay? Because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and it's been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen, right? <laughs> and so, listen, the reason why people say that is because what happens in Vegas is crazy, right? It's like, you know, some stuff goes down there, right? Well, this is like the city of Corinth, okay? They worship sex, okay? They worship beauty, very promiscuous, very, uh, it was known for a city of licentious activity. Sexual immorality was rampant, okay? Sort of everything goes in Corinth, and that is the people that Paul is going to visit. That's the people that Paul, uh, God has called him to, to start a church there. And here's what happens. If you, if you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, guess what? That's from this church, okay? This is why Paul writes a, church to, uh, writes a letter to them. So if you've ever wondered, I don't understand like the letters in the New Testament. Well, now you do, right? What are they? Essentially, they're churches that Paul started, okay? Now, the church in Corinth becomes the most diverse church, but they also become the most difficult church, okay? Now, the reason why it's so difficult there is because there's so much pagan religion that people from the outside world, they bring all of their baggage into the church, right? It's kind of like you guys, right? <laughs> right? You bring all of your crap into the church. I mean, I'm trying to say that really nicely, but you do, right? And, and you come into the church, and you're still living sinful lifestyles, and then I got to talk to you, and then we got to preach messages, and we got to teach you the Bible to say, hey, no longer, that's not you anymore, right? Don't participate in those things anymore. Why? Well, why can't I? Because you've been changed by Jesus Christ, right? And so the church at times is really messy because we bring all of our baggage, all of our sin, right, and all of our, our buckets of crap that we've lived in for long, and we dump it out at the pastor's feet, and we say, here, pastor, you fix it now. That's what happens oftentimes in the local church, right? And so this is one of the reasons why Corinth ended up being a very difficult place. And so we're going to look at Acts 18. I'm going to read through 17 verses. I want you to follow along. But before we do that, let's pray together, and then we'll dive into the Word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, and um, we just thank you for your power, for your presence here this morning. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives uh, what you've already done and what you're going to do through the message or what you're going to do through the time that we've gathered together, Lord, I'm believing you're going to, um, you're just going to do, a, you're going to speak to us, you're going to change us, you're going to form us into the image of Christ, God. And so, Father, we, we, we love you and we love your word. And we say we are our people of the word of God. I know that many in our culture see it as antiquated, as irrelevant and old-fashioned, but God, we see it as the very lifeline to who you are, God. It is life, Lord. Spirit and truth Life, it brings life to our bones, God. And so while our culture and our world wars against the word of God, we say, God, 
Feed us with your word, God. May we become a people of your word, God, who live and love like you do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's get into it, you guys. Acts chapter 18, 17 verses, okay? I'm going to catch you up. I'm going to kind of fill in some of the holes um, as we go through this, okay? If you have a smartphone, download YouVersion app. You can follow along as well, okay? Here's what it says. After this, Paul left Athens. Remember, Paul was in Athens. He was speaking to the Areopagus, that, that, that UC Berkeley professors, super liberal kind of group, right? And he's going, he's headed to Corinth. There, he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So Paul meets this really cool couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and their names match. How cute is that, right? Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. I'll fill you in on what that means in just a moment. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, let me just explain that. Paul's a tent maker. Listen, he worked with leather. Scholars actually said that he worked with leather. He was like a leather maker. So what happens is he probably starts this little project, this little business with Aquila and Priscilla, and they're starting to have like different streams of income, and they're supporting the work in the ministry, right? So they're starting a business together, and they're going to work to help do that, okay? And because he was a tent maker as they, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. So in that day and age, if you had the same trade as someone else, you did not work competitively against them. You actually joined with them so that you would have greater effectiveness and make more money. So every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, okay? Now, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself, here's what it says, exclusively to preaching, okay? Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul's going to focus in on preaching, less on tent making. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest. Now, he didn't literally do that. What is that? That's, a, that's an expression. Like, I wash my hands of you. You ever heard that expression? Okay. What Paul's doing here is this. This is really important. Listen up. Paul's basically saying, hey, I'm washing my hands of you. You made your choice. You made your choice. And on the day of judgment, Jesus will judge you in your actions. I tried telling you, and you didn't, you didn't listen. Y'all didn't listen to me. Have it your way. You do what you want to do. I'm out. We don't do that in the church today a whole lot because people would say, they're so mean. Oh, they're not graceful. But that's what Paul did. That's what Paul did. He says, I tried telling you. I warned you. The blood is on your own heads. The day of judgment is coming. Paul left the synagogue. He went next uh, or sorry, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it, he says, right? I, I tried telling you, from now on, I'm, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, which is, Crispus is a Greek name, actually. The synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord. So people are coming to faith. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. So Jesus speaks to, to Paul directly. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, right? Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I, am, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, 
What does he do? Teaching them the word of God. This is really important. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, I think, or Achaia, or no, I don't know. We'll say Achaia. Achaia. Let's say Achaia. Let's say Achaia. So Gallio was a, was a governor, like in the Roman sort of province of Achaia. A governor is a, plea, a, a place of like a government position, okay? So he's a governor of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a, made a united attack on Paul. So they're like getting together, and they're going to attack Paul. And they brought him to the place of judgment. Maybe it was a courtroom. Maybe it was just a, a place where people came to have matters judged. I'm not sure uh, this man, they, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in many ways, contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, hey, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable to me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, Set of a matter for yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. What's Galileo saying? He's like, I'm a governor. I'm a Roman governor. This is a Jewish thing. You have your own law. Like, I don't want to figure this out. You figure it out for yourselves, okay? Like, I don't want anything to do with this. Figure out what you're going to do with Paul, okay? So that's what he's telling them. He says, settle the matter for yourselves. I will not be a judge to these things. So what does he do? He drove them off. He's like, get on out of here, right? The crowd there turned on Sothenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern, whatever. Okay, what happens here? Well, the Jews are mad, and so they got to do something with their anger. So they turn on the synagogue leader. And they just like, right? And they just beat this dude down. And they're so angry, they got to do something with their anger. That's what we see kind of happening in our country right now, right? And so they just beat this dude down. And the governor's like, that's on you. Sorry, I'm not going to intervene in that. This guy gets beat in front of them. Let's talk a little bit about what we've read, because maybe you're slightly confused, or maybe you're not even listening. I don't know, okay? Paul travels to Corinth, and there in Corinth, he meets this really awesome couple, married couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila, they've come from Italy or from Rome, and history tells us that in the year AD 49, the Emperor Claudius, okay, expels all of the Jews from Rome. Why does he do this? Well, here's what happens. History tells us, scholarship tells us that the message of Christ is causing so much disturbance within the Jewish synagogues, right? It's causing so much trouble within the city that Claudius is fed up with it. He's like, I cannot take it anymore. I, I, this whole Christianity thing and, and the message of Christ is stirring up the synagogues and the Jews here. You guys got to go, okay? Out, out of my city right now. So he expels all of the Jews from Rome because the message of Christ is bringing so much trouble to that city. Can I just tell you that if you think the message of Christ is just going to be all about peace here in the middle of our city, it's going to be, everything's going to be just, we're all going to be holding hands. Can I just tell you that's not the way it's going to be? 
The message of Christ is going to stir up a lot of trouble. That doesn't mean that we go around being jerks to people and, and acting violently. Then we don't do that. But I'm just telling you, the message of Christ is an affront to the lifestyles of so many people in our world, right? Okay, so you just got to know that. I want to just be upfront with you. If you're thinking we're all going to sing Kumbaya and hold hands in the city center, that's not going to happen, okay? The Christians, we're going to be hated. Our message is not going to be welcomed, okay? And people are going to get what? Angry. And when they're angry, they got to do something with that anger. So they fight, they burn down stuff, they cause chaos, right? That's happened in Rome. So Claudius is like, get out of my city. So Aquila and Priscilla are in Corinth, and they hook up now. They meet up with Paul, and they eventually end up traveling with Paul to a great deal of places, okay? So Paul goes into the synagogues in Corinth, because this is what he always does, okay? Because that's where the Jewish people meet, and some of the Greeks. And he starts to persuade them about Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus. Now, of course, what does he meet? He meets great opposition, this always happens to Paul. So Paul's not really, um, he's not a stranger to opposition. He's not a stranger to people wanting to beat him, okay, to literally kill him. He's no stranger to that. But Jesus actually comes to Paul. Uh, he has a vision and tells Paul, listen, don't be afraid. Um, keep on talking. People will cancel you. People will try to silence you. It doesn't matter. Keep on spreading my word, okay? I'm going to be with you. And then he says this. I have many people in this city. What is he trying to say here? He's trying to say, hey, Paul, there's people who are going to come to faith because of you, because of your message. So it's okay. Keep talking about me. Keep talking about the message of Christ. And so Paul stays in Corinth for about a year and a half. Um, eventually, he heads um, back east to Ephesus, which is in Turkey. And then he goes all the way back to um, Antioch and then down to Jerusalem and he wraps up that second missionary journey. We're not going to talk about Ephesus too much today. We're actually going to focus in on Corinth, okay? Just the city of Corinth. Now, here's what I want to do. We've read 17 verses of Paul in Corinth. Paul with a great couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and Paul spreading the word of God. And I want to just bring to you three simple sort of observations and life applications that we can apply to our own lives. Okay? Three simple observations and applications. Now, the number one, the first one is this, is that we work, and when I say we, I say all of us, including myself, okay? So you and I, together. We work in hours and days while God works in years and seasons. Okay? Some of you are like, I don't know what that means, Pastor Marco. That sentence makes no sense. We work in hours and days while God works in years and seasons. Let me explain what this means, okay? Here's what I mean. I mean this. So many of us Christians, right, believers, so many of us, we overestimate what we can do in a short amount of time, but we underestimate what God will do in our life over a long period of time, okay? Is this starting to make sense to you a little bit? All right, let me keep explaining to you. So many Christians overestimate what God will do with their lives in the next 12 months. Oh, this is going to happen. 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 This is gonna... It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out, Pastor Mark. I promise you. No, 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 no. But you, under... you're overestimating that, and you're underestimating what God is going to do in the long period, of, like 20 years of faithful service. 
So you're like, this is going to work out. It's going to, in, in about 12 months, I'm going to have a life that I've always wanted. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be great. And I'm saying probably not. It's going to take a lot, a lot longer than you thought. And it's probably going to be a lot messier than you thought. Right? So we have a tendency, right, to do this. And the scripture tells us, that Paul was in Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens for kind of a short period of time. But when it came to Corinth, he probably was tempted to pack up his bags and say, I'm out of here because these, these Jews are opposing me. But what happens, Jesus speaks to him and says, no, stay, 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 and keep proclaiming the gospel. And so what happens is this, is that Paul sort of puts down roots in Corinth, and he stays there for a year and a half, right, for a much longer period of time, doing what? Just teaching the Bible. That's it. Just faithful Bible teaching. That's what I want to do. I want to I be at Radiant for years and years and years, and I want to be just known as a faithful Bible teacher. I, I would love to be known for that, right? I don't have to have a big platform. I don't have to be famous, right? But I would love to be said, man, he's Marco, like, was just a faithful Bible teacher. Paul puts down roots in Corinth, right? And, and Paul's like, okay, this is not going to happen overnight, like, a lot of times we're naive and we're thinking, okay, God's going to do this in a couple of months, and he's going to do this, and she's going to say that, and everything's going to work out, and, like, we're just naive, and we're like, no, and people are trying to tell us, no, it's, it's probably not going to work like that. We love you, but it's not going to work that way, okay? Like, I just want you, and you're like, no, I think it's going to work out. Like, in six months, my life's going to be all perfect, and blah, 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 and we're like, no, it's going to take a lot. When I was in seminary, I was in grad school in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? I was studying, right? And um, man, when I was there, though, listen, I wanted nothing more than to be in the local church, to meet with people, to disciple, to maybe start a church, to do the work of the ministry, to get my hands dirty, right? That's, like, I, that's what I wanted. But... God had me in that place for a few years, right? And so what I thought was going to last, what I thought maybe, right, what I thought was just going to be very, very short ended up being of several years. What I'm trying to say is that there were many times where I would tell God, this season is taking forever. Could you just move me on to the next season? And God was like, no, no, no I have you where, right where you're supposed to be, right there. Now, you're supposed to be right there. There are many times where I just said, God, can we just get this timeline moving? I've got work to do. Could you just hurry this up already? Right? I was looking at the short game, but God the whole time was looking at the long game, right? Marco, you, you were looking at things like this, and I'm looking at things like, like this. It's not going to happen overnight, son. It's going to take years to do what I want to do in you and through you. Years. You're thinking it's going to be a flash in the pan, and I'm saying, no, dig in your heels. It's going to take a while, right? We're obsessed with fast results and getting to the next season of our lives while God often takes his time. So what? So that our characters can be transformed in the image of Christ. We're like, let's go. Let's go, God. And he's like, no. I got you where I want to. I'm so tired of this. I know you are. So you need to lean on me. 
I'm angry. Okay, I know you are. You need to come to me and surrender then. I want something different. I know you do, but I'm forming you right now. I'm shaping you, and I can't do it any other way. If there was a way, I'd do it, but I'm taking my time with you. I'm concerned God is more, I'm convinced God is more concerned with what he's doing in us than what he's doing through us. So many of us are just concerned about what he's doing through us. Hey, that's important, and I'm for that, right? That is important, that is legitimate, but, 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 but God is in the business of shaping and forming us to look more like his son, Jesus Christ. And the danger is, is that the danger becomes that we're doing things for Jesus, but we're not transformed by Jesus. Do you see the problem with that? We're do, I want to do this, but we're not being shaped and formed and changed. We're, we want to do all these things, but God's like, slow it down. I'm trying to do something in you. Ah, you're missing the point. It's going over your head, right? And we're like, no, 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 God, God, God. He's like, no, 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 listen to me. Shh, 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 listen. I'm trying to shape you, form you, change your life, right? And we're just like, I want to go to the next season, God. I want the next thing, right? How many of you know there's a difference between a microwavable meal okay, and a homemade meal? Come on, preach. Preach, pastor, preach. Now, for parents, listen, I love you and I'm for you. Some nights you just throw those nuggets right into the air fryer. Five minutes later, it's good. We're good to go. Let's keep moving this thing on, right? All right? But there's a big difference between a microwavable meal and a homemade meal because, listen, as I make comparisons, one is super convenient, easy, and fast, right? But the other, the homemade meal, involves a lot of ingredients, dirty dishes, which I hate, and a lot more time. Just ask my wife. My, my wife is always like, Honey, we can't make food and there not be dirty dishes. Like, that's what happens. I'm just like, ugh, I'm like so frustrated, right? Anyways, let's just, I need counseling. Let's just go through that, all right? One meal just feeds your stomach and then you move on, right? But the other meal is meant to be shared around a kitchen table with friends, with family, lots of laughter, um, lots of discussion, right? Finally, one meal, the microwave of a meal, doesn't take much work while the, other, while the other is tedious and laborious, right? If you've made something from scratch, it just takes a lot more time. And so many of us, including myself, listen, we want God to move conveniently, quickly, with little effort on our part. But God is more like the chef in the kitchen preparing this magnificent Homemade meal, it takes time, it's laborious, it's messy, hello, right? It tries your patience, some of y'all are messy. It tries your patience, it tests your character, right? But the end product is worth it. Okay, the end product is worth it, right? This is the work of discipleship. Listen, if you want to be like Jesus and do the works of Jesus, it just doesn't happen overnight. It just it happens over time. Practice God wants to shape us into the image of Christ. So Paul knew things were going to happen. Things were not going to happen overnight. He digs down, stays a long, much longer time in Corinth. Okay? That's my first point. Number two is this. The local church needs more Aquilas and Priscilla's. Okay? The local church needs more Aquilas and Priscilla's. Can I just tell you, here's what an Aquila and Priscilla is. Here's the definition. Aquila and Priscilla's are people with hands, hearts, and homes dedicated to the work of the Lord no matter what they do. 
Aquilas and Priscilla's, listen, are people with hands, hearts, and homes dedicated to the work of the Lord no matter what they do. Can I just tell you, every pastor on the planet, every missionary thanks God for Aquilas and Priscilla's in this church. Thanks God. Did you know that if you do a search, go to BibleGateway.com. This is one, this is, you can use this, it's free. Type in Aquila and Priscilla. Hit enter, okay? You're gonna find that they show up in quite a few places in the New Testament. Well, why is that? Well, because they traveled with Paul. And the idea is, is that Paul leaned on them. They didn't lean on him. He leaned on them, and they what? What did they do? Well, they traveled, and they did the work of the ministry, right? They did the work of the ministry. So they show up in Romans, in Acts, of course, 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, right? And the thing is, is that they are doing the work of the ministry, okay? Can I just tell you, we have some, we have some, some, some Aquilas and Priscillas here at Radiant Church, don't we? Amen? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Andy and Sarah Schaefer, Andy leads men. Uh, Sarah leads the kids, wonderful, amazing couple, right? Uh, I, I thank God for them. I thank God for them. Uh, we have people like, like, like uh, my friend Marcus and Martha Morgan, incredible couple. Marcus is the regular on stage, plays guitar. Martha is a vital part of our, our kids' ministry. They're making a huge impact, right? And they're an, an Aquila and Priscilla, and I thank God for them. Listen, we have people like Troy and, and Nair. They, they lead like 20 ministries, of course, right? We have like Barry and Judy Summerfield, just prayer warriors. They stay for both services just to pray for you, just to pray for you. We have people like uh, Justin and Brittany Stilson. They'll, they'll, they'll bring their daughter with them, and they're both here early in the morning. They've got their daughters, you know, strapped on their chest or whatever, and, and they're just, I mean, they're just in it, right? And they're faithful, and they're, uh, they're, they're diligent to do the work of the Lord, and there are so many more. Listen, and I, I don't, don't be offended if I didn't call your name out. We do have so many more. Now, if you're here this morning, if you're not married, this is not meant to be a jab against you, Okay. Now, if your spouse is not here, uh, I don't want you to feel less than. That's not the purpose or the point of that at all, okay? What I really want to say is that we simply need more servants in the house of the Lord, right? Servants who are in it no matter what they do as an occupation, right? I would love nothing more than to see men and women come alive, come alive in their faith, right, as they find their purpose and their calling within the local church. I would love nothing more than to see that. You know, we often think of volunteering as just simply filling a role, but here's what it truly is. It's actually more like discovering your purpose. It's more like finding out what your giftings are, right? It's actually more like connecting with other people, right? And I think, I want Radiant Church, listen, just to be a place where people find identity in Christ discover their purpose, and live out their calling, okay? And so here's the thing, you guys. We need more Aquilas and Priscillas in the local church, okay? And I thank God for our Aquilas and Priscillas. And in so many ways, okay, in some sense, I do lean on them. They probably don't lean on me. Finally, number three. The church is at best when it looks and behaves differently from the world. Why am I bringing this point up? 
Well, because they're, they're in Corinth, right? And Corinth is a, is a culture that's, that, that worships sex, like promiscuity, um, there's a lot of perversion. Even, even scholarship will tell us that there's a lot of perversion um, in ancient uh, culture. Uh, Paul would have known this, okay? Paul would have known this. But the church is best when it looks and behaves differently from the world. A.W. Tozer said this, put that up. The church's mightiest influence is felt when she's different from the world in which she lives. The church's mightiest influence is not felt when we agree with everybody. It's not felt when we're afraid to offend somebody, okay? The church's mightiest influence is felt when she's different from the world in which she lives. And here's the thing. Here's the, here's the reason why we don't do everything like you want us to do. Here's the reason why we don't do everything like the world would agree that we should do things. Because if we do that, listen, what makes us different? Nothing. What happens is that the church loses her prophetic voice. Okay? The church is meant to have a prophetic voice in the culture. The church is meant to say, hey, here's the kingdom. It's this. It's not that. It's this. That's a prophetic voice, right? We're speaking of things of which are here and are to come, the kingdom of God. Right? So the church, we, 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 we don't want to lose our prophetic voice. But when we become more like the world than we are Christ, well, then the world can no longer make a distinction, right? So Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he, he's talking to the church there, and he's saying, listen, some of you, you used to be idolaters, you used to be sexually immoral, you used to sleep around, you were promiscuous, you were deviant, you were thieves, you were unrighteous. You swore, you cussed like a sailor, right? You, um, you were hanging out at the strip club. You were doing all these things, Paul says, but that's not who you are anymore. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, and that is what some of you were. He's just listed all of those things, by the way, okay? That is what some of you were, past tense, right? But you were washed, okay? You, you, you were sanctified, means made, made holy is what that means, okay? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what Paul's saying. So the church looks best when, as we become more separate from the world. Now, yeah, we got to work in the world. Of course you do, okay? Of course you do. But we're separate in the way that we live our lives, the patterns of our lives, our habits, right? Uh, what we're doing in our relationships. They're not, they don't look to, to people in our family, even... Uh, to some, some in our family, to some people in our family, to some people in the world, it's like, that's weird. Nobody does that. I don't care. Nobody does that, okay? That's just weird. That's so old-fashioned. Yeah, I don't care. It's the way that leads to life. How's your way working out for you? Oh, yeah, it's not working, is it? Yeah. You got a dysfunctional family. Yeah, right. So, I'm not trying to be mean, but right? It's the truth someone just said. Amen. Right? Let's try it a different way, right? Prophetic voice. Here's where, as far as me and my house, that's what we're doing. Y'all can do what you want to do, and I'm not here to judge, but this is where we're going, and we're not changing for you, okay? I want to remind you this morning, church, that if you were washed, if you were sanctified, if you were justified, put, put off the old self, Put, off, put on the new self that has been renewed in Christ Jesus, okay? 
And here's what this means. It means walking out, walking away from your deeds done in darkness and walking into the light where everything is exposed. The darkness is where everything is hidden. Lots of secrets. The light is where everything is exposed, where you can see everything. But when you can see everything, here's the difference, right? Because this is a great spotlight right here on me right now, right? You can see everything. Nothing is hidden, but there's no shame. So you don't have to be afraid of walking into light because there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. Here's what keeps you in darkness. Let me just, I'm just going to speak prophetically right now. I feel like the Lord just put this on my heart. Here's why some of you are flying, running into darkness. The reason why you're doing this is because you're afraid, because you're full of shame, because you feel guilty, right? And you're still walking in the old self. You still are walking in an old identity. That's why you keep doing that. Walk into the light. Walk into what? The life. No more shame. No more guilt. Everything's exposed. There's freedom here. Right? Love, there's grace, there's forgiveness. But when there's darkness, when you're in darkness, there is no grace. We can't have grace for you. Why? Because everything's hidden. There's only condemnation. There's judgment. That's why there's judgment in darkness. We can't see anything. Everything is a big secret. You're wondering why. It just seems like people are judging me. Because you're in the dark. We can't, we can't, how do we know? We, we don't, no one knows anything. You don't even know what's real and what's true. So walk into the light. Right? I just feel like that's for some of you in here. One or two of you, three of you, five of you. I don't know. You're, you're trying to play this Christian thing out. You grew up in a Christian home, right? You grew up doing good deeds, but you're still playing in the dark. Come on, I'm speaking by the Holy Spirit. Some of you are still playing in the dark, and you're here this morning, and you're singing, and you don't think that God sees you. And I'm just going to say it right now. Listen, he sees you, and right now is your chance to walk into the light. Because when you're in the light, come on. Right? When you're in the light, listen, it's freedom, it's forgiveness joy, grace. When you're in the darkness, there's none of that. It's not rocket science. <laughs> and I'm telling you this morning, stop playing in the darkness. Walk into the light. Let me just leave you with these three questions, and these are questions for myself as well, as we think about our own salvation. Number one, does my life bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Is your life bearing that fruit? Number two, are my desires aligning with God's desires? What are your desires right now? Because we all have desires, but some of them are ungodly desires, right? We can all admit that, okay? We can all admit that. So are your desires beginning to align more with Christ or less with Christ? It's okay to do a, a bit of sober examination. Number three, can my kids honestly say that I'm following Jesus? Here's why I'm saying kids. If you don't have kids, forgive me. Um, don't be offended. But if you have kids right now, your kids will call you out like no one else because you can't fool them. They're like, I don't, I've never seen daddy pray. I don't know what he's talking about. I've never seen daddy open his Bible. I don't know what mommy's talking about because she don't act like that at home. Oh, snap, right? They just called you out. And so the, the and we all got to do this, right? Because my kids know me more than anyone else, right? So they will call me out. And so are you, can your kids say that you're following Jesus? It's not that you're perfect. Of course, no, of course not. 
You might fall a lot, but can they say that you're following Jesus? I hope this has been a life-giving word. I want to pray with you and we'll dismiss. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word, God. Your word brings healing. Your word brings forgiveness. Your, your word illuminates, God, our shortcomings, God. And so here we are. I just feel compelled to get on my knees right now. So here we are, God, in the light, nothing hidden, nothing in darkness, fully exposed, naked before you, God. Here we are. So in the light, God, there's peace, joy, forgiveness. Transformation, there's love, there's grace that abounds. So, Lord, would we be found in the light? Not under guilt or condemnation or shame, God. Fully loved by you, fully accepted, and yet called to be different. Thank you, Lord, that Paul establishes a church in Corinth, one of the most sinister cities in the empire, gives us hope for today, God, that you're establishing lighthouses in the middle of a dark world, God. You're establishing your church. God, and you said that the gates of hell would not prevail. So Christ, may you build your church and build it through us, God. Build it through me, build it through my friends, build it through those who serve here, God. May you build your church, God, in us and through us. Our lives are yours. Take them. It's yours, God. In Jesus' name we pray.